So that passage that was just read so beautifully by our friend Brock is a significant portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it is recognized as one of the most elegant sections of Scripture. As such, when I get up here, I oftentimes mention how Pastor Chris has given me a challenging passage to preach. I mean, within the book of 1 Corinthians, I preached on hot-button issues like same-sex relationships, church discipline, and why it might be better to be off single than married. This morning, I should thank him. I, I, I get a bit of a softball. I get to talk about love. I, I get to preach on a passage that may not seem all that controversial. This is a a section of scripture familiar to many because it is often read at weddings. The the broader culture is likely aware of what's mentioned in this passage and quibbles little with its content. But that said, this passage is often misunderstood and misapplied. Really, it has little to do with the love between a husband and a wife or the love between friends, or even, even how to work to love a neighbor or coworker. This section of, of Scripture is often identified as an interlude found within a broader conversation about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Act 1 is the material we discussed in prior weeks in chapter 12. Act 2 is the content we'll discuss in future weeks in chapter 14. Now, if you've ever been to a play, you know whatever happens during the interlude, it's simply a break or a pause in the action. It can pretty much stand alone. And so it could be experienced another time in another context. It may have little to do with what's taken place in Act 1 or what will take place in Act 2. Take the interlude out, and the meaning won't be changed. That's how people treat 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But rather than viewing 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 this way, I think it's probably better to view it as a sandwich. I like sandwiches. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, they are the bread of the sandwich, and 1 Corinthians 13, it is the meat in the middle. You can take the meat out of that sandwich and just eat the meat. It's still delicious, but it is certainly not the same thing. It's lost its original meaning and purpose. And if you put it into another context, say inserting it between two other things, for example, if you, if you insert that meat between two cucumbers, it's not a sandwich. If you insert it between two slices of a tomato, it might be delicious, but it's still not a sandwich. And if you insert it between two pieces of lettuce, still not a sandwich. That's why Jimmy John's calls it an unwitch. We only understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13 when it is considered in its original context within this conversation on spiritual gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. So if you've been with us in prior weeks, you may recall there are two types of concerns the Apostle Paul is addressing that people tend to have as they relate to spiritual gifts. 
Things like speaking in tongues or speaking truth or serving or exercising gifts of administration. On one hand, people, people tend to have a low view of self. They see all the gifts that everyone else has been exercised within a church community, all the things that they're doing. They're not able to exercise certain gifts, and they feel unworthy. As a result, they may experience what Pastor Chris identified as self-pity. They may feel kind of sorry for themselves. And so they, they distance themselves from being part of a church community. They may not step into using the gifts and talents they have been given to bless the broader church. So if you wrestle with that type of mentality, you probably know it. Okay, So that's one concern. The other, some, some have too high a view of the gifts they believe God has given to them. And so maybe they feel entitled to exercise those gifts whenever and wherever they want. Maybe they feel they are a necessary part of the body, but others are not. Pastor Chris used the, the language self-sufficiency to describe people with this disposition. While those who struggle with self-pity are often self-aware, that's probably less true of those who struggle with self-sufficiency, which I would include myself in that category. Too high a view of personal gifts is the second concern. What is the common problem? What's at the root of both of these concerns? Why one individual distances and withdraws from a community while another feels entitled to exercise a spiritual gift wherever and whenever he or she wants. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul draws in on a common source, a failure to love, which means engaging this, the language in this chapter wasn't a feel-good experience for the Corinthians. Rather, it was a punch in the gut. Okay. So I, uh, the last song I happened to listen to on my way over, I, I, was, uh, I was listening to some Spotify. On came the, this commercial for Crest Toothpaste. Uh, and there was this music that was playing that was really daunty, daunting, kind of scary, eerie, meant to produce a little bit of fear. And of course, this was saying, if you don't use Crest Toothpaste, this was going to be your experience when you went to the dentist. If you use Crest Toothpaste, then this elegant music came on and it, it made you feel like you were floating up in the clouds and felt all good and it was elegant and peaceful, right? If you used Crest Toothpaste, that is how you would experience the, 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 the dentist's office. We often think of 1 Corinthians 13 as this elegant music. And actually, it was this daunting music for the Corinthians. It was these punches Paul was throwing to help them wake up to their lack of love for one another. There were ways they were withholding love from one another, not extending love. Paul's point, exercising spiritual gifts is good, but extending love is way better. Okay, That's our big idea this morning. Exercising spiritual gifts is good, but extending love is way better. Now, before we get in, in, into the text, let me clarify. 
I want to make clear, this is not an either-or type choice. Either you exercise a spiritual gift or you extend love. Uh, uh, or, or along the lines of uh, exercising a spiritual gift is bad and extending love is good. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. I don't know how many of you ever watched the classic movie from 1989, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. If you have, you know that word classic should never be associated with that particular movie. Which means if you're with us and you have not watched it, don't waste your time. Okay, for those of you, those of you that have, you should remember a line often spoken by actors Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Bill and Ted used to describe something good as excellent. To describe something great, they would use most excellent. It's not just that something was excellent, it was most excellent, right? Today, today we don't so much use the phrase most excellent, but we have something similar. Rather than say, saying something is good, we say something is super good. So last week, Pastor Chris told us to pursue spiritual gifts, but even more, pursue love. The Apostle Paul said it this way in the final verse of 1 Corinthians 12, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Something better than exercising gifts is extending love. Exercising spiritual gifts is excellent. Extending love is most excellent. Exercising spiritual gifts is good, but extending love is super good. And so we're saying today, exercising spiritual gifts is good. That is something we want to do. But extending love is way better. So as the Apostle Paul makes this point, he's going to explain the way love functions. He's going to explain what love is. And this explanation will clarify why extending love is so good. I mean, what makes it excellent? And then he's going to explain why extending love is way better. He's going to compare it to, to, to some things that are good and explain why it is most excellent. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to specifically be examining verses 4 through 13. And so let's begin by understanding why extending love is so good. We'll start with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so the Apostle Paul is using 15 verbs here to describe what love is, what love does, what love is not, and what love doesn't do. Every single verb describes ways of relating to others. So at its core, extending love seeks the good of others. It elevates others above self. This is what makes it so good. 
I mentioned this letter is a bit of a punch in the gut for the Corinthians because many of these verbs that, that he's using here have been used in other places in this letter, demonstrating the Corinthians' failure to love. Paul is saying extending something that is not love rather than elevate others, what it does is it elevates self. The alternative to love, therefore, is a form of narcissism. Not the clinical condition, but but living within a community of people where decisions and how we relate to others is centered on self. The Apostle Paul is repeating a theme we've explored in past weeks. When we're confident of the spiritual gifts we have, without a disposition of love, we exercise those gifts in ways that seek personal glory. We become boastful and arrogant. When we're not confident of those spiritual gifts, devoid of a disposition of love, it can lead to complaining and comparing. We can distance ourselves from a church community because as we focus on the gifts of others, we feel unworthy. When we are not extending love to others, rather than build up the body, what we extend tends to tear it down. Last week, Pastor Chris mentioned a show called The Amazing Race. He described how The Amazing Race includes a team of individuals cooperating together to achieve a common goal. So that that type of competition, if you're familiar with it, it's known as a cooperative game or a cooperative contest. If you're familiar with games at any level, I mean board games, not video games, you know of games like Checkers or Chutes and Ladders or Candyland or maybe Monopoly. In those types of games, when I win, I beat everyone else. Okay, Those are not cooperative games. Those are games that we compete as individuals. Now, there are other games. There there are some that we play at the Gardner House. We enjoy playing games. Um, There there are some cooperative games like Pandemic or Forbidden Island or Bandito. Individuals compete as a team or as a family to achieve a common goal or objective. And so if I win, we all win. Okay, so an area I need to grow, uh, I think it's a, a part of the old self that still needs to be renewed, I do not like cooperative games. <laughs> I, I like games I get to compete as an individual. I mean, I'm kind of good at games, we might so- say it is a talent or a gift given to me by God, and I don't, I don't often want to use that gift or the wisdom God has given me to bless others. I want to use my abilities and my wisdom playing games for myself. I don't want to share that. In a cooperative game, I I could, I could use gifts and talents in a way that glorify self, that seek to serve self, but it would distract from achieving the ultimate objective. Whenever, Whenever I think about playing a game, I'm very much thinking about myself as an individual rather than how to build others up, how to help us achieve a common victory. Now that I have outed myself as someone you may never want to play a game with, unless you think you can beat me, (laughs) 
I want to use this example of that behavior to say, this is how we often interact with spiritual gifts. We've been given gifts and talents and abilities. We've, we, us, we've been given gifts and talents and abilities, not you individually. You individually have been given gifts so that you may work to build up the we. So you may help the we achieve a common objective to grow in maturity, for others to be encouraged and strengthened. Spiritual gifts were not given to us individually to achieve personal gain or personal glory so we could serve self, so we could stand out. We prefer to relate to spiritual gifts individually rather than corporately or cooperatively. What gifts do I get to have? When someone has different gifts that I would prefer, I enter into self-pity, maybe some resentment. I I do not think of spiritual gifts in a communal or a cooperative sense. Such a disposition reveals we're missing out on extending something far better. Exercising spiritual gifts is good. Extending love is way better. There's a famous quote said by theologian and author C.S. Lewis about humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so humility doesn't mean you embrace a low view of self. Embracing humility simply means you're willing to be less self-focused, less centered on your own needs and desires. So there are are a variety of Greek words in Scripture that that translate into love in the English version of of the Bible you read. Some of them do relate to having inner desires fulfilled. I mean, you think about the love between a man and a woman in marriage. I love my wife, Michelle. In loving her, there's part of me that that is getting filled up. There's part of me that's getting encouraged. And so part of my love for her connects with a longing in in me to be fulfilled. She loves me. She loves me that same way. That that type of love is not necessarily a a bad thing, to love in a way that inner longings are fulfilled. But the word Paul is using here to describe how we are to relate to others in the church is agape. This is is a word that that is entirely not self-focused. Agape love is somewhat similar to how C.S. Lewis described humility. It isn't thinking less of yourself, embracing a low view of self, but it is elevating others above self. It's recognizing that you have been given much and you have much to give to others. In so doing, it is thinking of yourself less. It decenters self. It is entirely others-oriented. Agape love is not looking to get anything, but rather to give to others. It disengages from self-interest. And so an individual surrenders finding oneself. They sacrifice self-justification and self-validation and using gifts for personal gain. 
The love Paul is longing for the Corinthians to extend to one another is not concerned with self, but seeking the good of others. Okay? In light of that, let me, let me ask a question. Is there some gift that you feel you must be able to do? Some gift you must be able to exercise, to be fulfilled, something that would validate you. Maybe, maybe that would provide some inner validation, or maybe you feel that it would validate you before others. Now, there are all sorts of examples, but let me, let me give you one, how this could play out. It, it could play out where you must serve on our worship team. Maybe you would do that because exercising musical talents becomes such a core part of identity. Or it's important to be seen by others. Or because we all want to hang out with somebody like Eric Goodell. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, th- but this definitely plays out in particular ways, and sometimes it plays out in wanting to serve on the worship team. Some people choose a church based on acceptance onto a, a particular worship team. So exercising musical talents and gifts is one way this could play out, but it is certainly not the only one. Sometimes it plays out with teaching gifts, wanting to be able to teach Bible studies or preach sermons. Sometimes it plays out in having a leadership role in some ministry, like a gospel community or First City Kids. For the Corinthians, it seemed to be playing out with the gift of speaking in tongues. They felt entitled to exercise that particular gift. In feeling entitled to exercise that gift, they were missing out on something much better, extending love. Is there some gift you must be able to do to be fulfilled? Exercising spiritual gifts is good, but not when it is done to fulfill personal wants and desires. Extending love is way better. Extending love is not centered on self. Love sees the needs of others. It it, it seeks to elevate others and encourage others and build others up. And so it responds as we relate to the church, when we extend love, we, we lay down what we want and what we desire. We understand exercising love this way, that this is the greatest gift we can give to the life of a church, laying down our wants and desires because of how we've experienced love. There's a story told in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts about the Apostle Philip sharing the gospel. Philip comes upon a a man reading and searching the scriptures, and here's Acts 8.32. Now, the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. The man was reading from the book of Isaiah, and it was a passage that revealed the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not live in a way he was centered on self. Instead, he lived to give his life away for sinners like you and I. He surrendered everything he could have desired on this earth when he went to the cross. 
Jesus was not focused on self. And in so doing, sinners like us, we were given eternal life. Jesus, he could have felt entitled to exercise a gift of teaching or exercise a gift of doing miracles or evangelizing and sharing the gospel even. But he would have deprived you and I of something better, love. Sacrificing his life for us. In love, Jesus surrendered his earthly ministry. He surrendered his earthly life so you and I could experience eternal life. Love is a great gift. Something way better given to us by Christ. Who perfectly demonstrates the verbs Paul is using in this section of Scripture? In describing what a person does who is loving, Paul is pointing to Christ. Jesus is this description of love. This is love expressed by God. And that love is to be reflected by God's people. Christians are to be a display of God's love towards them. This is the type of love C.S. Lewis says, that loves what is not naturally lovable. Lepers, criminals, enemies, morons, the sulky, the superior, and the sneering. Agape love pursues people who are not naturally lovable. People who have nothing to offer you which means the, the love Paul is describing sacrifices self, surrenders self. It does not serve self-interest. So, love is patient. It does not expect truth to be communicated and immediately acted upon. When someone is suffering, love doesn't withdraw. Love enters in. Love tries to help, even though it is not always received that way. When we disagree, rather than assume the worst of motives, love is kind and generous. Love doesn't try to control or accuse. Conversely, when, when someone else is experiencing something good, love doesn't complain or compare. Love enters in and commends and celebrates. Love rejoices at the gifts given to others. Those are gifts given to the we, not to particular individuals. Paul is saying the love of Christ ultimately forms how we relate to one another in the church. Exercising spiritual gifts is good. Extending love is way, way better. Let's continue in 1 Corinthians 13. So we've reflected on why love is so good, how it elevates others and encourages others, how it builds others up. It is not centered on self. Now let's consider why extending love is way better, why it is so much better than some alternatives that are excellent in their own right. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12, and I want, you, I want you to pay attention to how 
Paul contrasts love with some things that are certainly remarkable. As such, I'm going to pause at a couple points. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Paul is identifying some earthly ministries that we practice in the present that will eventually come to an end. They will become obsolete. He's saying love is way better because it will never end. He continues, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So again, there are things we do now that we will not do in the future. When the perfect comes, that's the second coming of Christ, the partial will come to an end. Love is way better because not only do we do it in the present, we will do it in the future. Paul continues, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. So, so Paul is describing things that are kind of on a spectrum. There is a spectrum where we experience limitations, and we then experience freedom from those limitations. When I'm, when I'm an adult, I experience greater freedom and clarity. When I see face-to-face versus seeing in a mirror, I experience greater clarity. Love is better because it is not something rooted in our limited earthly existence. The Apostle Paul is demonstrating earthly ministry like prophecy and speaking in tongues and communicating knowledge, those ministries, they will come to an end. The earthly ministry that you experience, as amazing as it is, it is impermanent. Love does not end. Love will never end. So exercising spiritual gifts is good, but it is inferior. It is inferior to extending love. Love is superior. It is way better. I want to ask another question. I'm pretty sure you all know the right answer, but step aside from the right answer for a moment. Would you think about how you interact with others? Would you prioritize your ability to communicate truth, to be able to explain some biblical doctrine a particular way? Or would you prioritize extending love? Would you be okay loving someone and not knowing the right answers to their questions? Would you be okay being, not being able to provide the right counsel to help them through a challenging situ, situation? Would you be okay 
knowing, knowing the right answer, yet recognizing the right answer may not be what someone needs. And so having restraint to share it. Because the the timing would be unloving. It would be better to sit and suffer with someone and be patient. Have you ever had one of those moments? Maybe you walked out of a gospel community gathering or having coffee with someone and you asked yourself, did I I say the right things? I'm pretty sure I didn't say the right things. Um, And that question moved from reflection to, to preoccupation. You began to worry about the information you provided in response to questions. Have you ever had that moment? I mean, I I certainly have. Now, have you ever walked out of a gospel community gathering or having had coffee or lunch with someone and asked the question, how did I do loving them? Did, Did they experience me as being patient and present? Did I endure with them? Those are two different types of questions. And to some degree, while we wouldn't say this out loud, I think oftentimes we would rather be right than loving. That's a punch in the gut for me, and I think that is a punch in the gut for some of you. This can be a deficit in churches kind of like us, that are part of our tribe, if you will. We are more concerned with communicating right doctrine than the posture we have when we share it. Paul's point, the information, the truth you, you share, not that it's unimportant, it certainly is, but there is a way it is less important. The posture you have when you share, that's far more important. This knowledge we share with one another, someday it will be obsolete. Loving one another will never be obsolete. Exercising love is more significant to our eternal existence than prophesying or speaking in tongues or sharing knowledge. And so exercising spiritual gifts is good, but extending love is way better. Earlier I asked the question, is there something you must do? to to be fulfilled, to to feel like you're validated. I want to ask a a different question now. Rather than is there some gift or something you must be able to do, is there some activity you must not do? Is there something you're unwilling to do? Maybe because that something isn't good enough. Or maybe because there is something better you should spend your time on. Maybe you're unwilling to do something because that something is well outside of your comfort zone. And doing it would cause all sorts of inner turmoil. So do you, to excuse yourself from stepping into that something, even though there is significant need, you say, oh, that's not my gifting. For some reason, this can play out in children's ministry quite a bit. Right, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know our children's ministry needs a number of volunteers, which we do, by the way. See me afterwards. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just not gifted to work with children. Exercising that type of disposition 
that can be a way we focus on earthly ministry rather than eternal attributes of loving one another, of seeing the needs of a church body and asking the question, how can I sacrifice and serve regardless of what I'm comfortable with? Now let me back up for a moment. Serving, serving in the church community by extending love, stepping into serving needs within the church, it is not about alleviating guilt. I don't want us to be people who are serving one another because we feel pressured and guilty. We do not step up and serve one another to earn the approval of others or, or to free ourselves from internal pressure. But, we do, but what we do want, rather than simply focus on our earthly gifts to drive how we serve one another within a church community, we don't want that to set our limitations or determine what we do or don't do. We want our love for one another to ultimately determine what we do or don't do. Exercising spiritual gifts is good. Extending love is way better. I want to speak a moment to those of you that, that have a desire for gifts that you're not currently exercising. There are, there are certain gifts others have, and you feel shame that you don't have them. Now, maybe, maybe it's because you haven't pursued and developed them, coming back to Pastor Chris's theme last week. Or maybe it's simply not a gift that, that you do have. When there is this imbalance, valuing earthly ministry with what we will experience for eternity. Such a disposition tends to be wrapped up in feelings about gifts that you don't have. And so rather than rejoicing in the gifts God has given your church, you feel unworthy. You experience self-pity. You compare yourself to others and you become envious. Those gifts of knowledge of speaking truth over others and to others, as great as they are when they are used to build up the body, at some point, those gifts will be set aside. In eternity, there is no hierarchy of Christians based on ability to know and to communicate truth. The people who teach are not valued more than others in this church because of their ability to communicate Scripture. Paul is establishing when Christ returns, because earthly ministry will no longer be necessary, spiritual gifts of teaching are not exhaustive or comprehensive. Earthly ministry is impermanent. Those spiritual gifts will be abolished. Love will not be. Which means exercising spiritual gifts is good. Extending love is way better. Paul concludes this section of Scripture contrasting love with, with some alternatives, drawing attention to two critical characteristics of the Christian life, faith and hope. Verse 13 says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
Faith, hope, and love were considered to be three key virtues of the Christian faith. Many considered them to be the three core virtues. Paul says of these three excellent virtues, love is the best one. Because while faith and hope will endure, there is a sense they are obsolete. Love is greater. Because while all three are core to our existence as God's people on earth, and and even to a degree for eternity, the most exhaustive of these three is love. We will experience faith and hope differently when Christ returns. Faith will be transformed because we will be experiencing what our faith pointed to. Hope will be transformed because we will be realizing what we were hoping in. But while our love may be greater, the love that we express and experience on earth, that love will be experienced and expressed for eternity. So there is a way that only love is permanent. Only love is exhaustive. Only love is comprehensive. Hope for Christ's return, waiting for that, will no longer be needed. Faith in God's promises to be fulfilled That will no longer be needed, but we will still love one another. We will love one another for eternity. Love is something that we will experience in the future that we get get to experience in the present. Experiencing and extending love today is a remarkable foretaste of what we will experience forever. In light of that, may we be a people who live out today what we will be experiencing and extending to one another for eternity. Experiencing spiritual gifts, or exercising spiritual gifts is good. Extending love is way better. Let's pray.